You know, folks, we have been going through a uh, series. We started, this is actually, I think, our sixth week now. We started it a month and a half ago, talking about God's desire that all of us be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when we started in the beginning of the series, I kind of told you that we don't really talk about that very much in church anymore. A lot of that has to do with some of the crazy things that we see on TV, like what does that mean? Am I going to be like one of those folks on TV and what they're experiencing? And and I'm trying to tell you that that's really not true. We've often, because of that, adopt another viewpoint is where we don't talk about it. And that's what we've done for years. And when I'm saying years, I'm talking decades. If you were to go back, like I do, and look at 40, 50 years ago, even 100 years ago, at the writers of that time period, you're going to find that a lot of them will talk very clearly, no matter what denomination they're from, about experiencing the fullness of Christ in their life and their ministry, about seeking that. But somehow, as we've entered into this modern era in the last 50 years, we've kind of like, kind of forgotten that. We've kind of forgotten the need to be filled. But the reality is, it's a command. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Don't be drunk with wine, but what? Be filled with the Spirit. Now, we've been talking about that, and that maybe has raised up in you a thirst, a desire for that. And so what I'm going to do, first of all, is I'm going to, again, talk about a growing understanding, because that's been my task over the last few weeks is to kind of instruct you, to kind of guide you, okay? And so I'm going to go through basically four points here. I brought them up to you last week just to kind of remind us where we're at and where we're going. So first of all, we start off with thirst, okay? You have a desire in your life for something more. Now, everybody here, it's at a varying level. Some of you, it's intense. You want Jesus working in your life right now. Some of you, it's really intense. For some of you here, it's just a little thought in your mind. You know that there should be something more, but you're just going on with life. So your thirst is at a varying degree. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, some of you are really thirsty, but some of you, it's like, yeah, it's a desire. Thirst. You want God. You want something more. The next thing that happens is frustration. How do we get that? How do we find what he's asking us for? When we try, we fail. We got a problem. The problem is, is you and I are sinners. We can't do what God's calling us to do. It seems like this bar is up here. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't be controlled by our desires. Don't be controlled by our fleshliness. But here's this bar that's up there of spirituality. God wants us to go there. In fact, he says, go there. And we're like, how do we do that? And so you get frustrated. And some of you have, through the years, have heard and wanted to attain that, and the frustration has made you say, okay, I'm done. In fact, some of you, you can remember maybe you've pursued it before, and you've been frustrated, but only now, because I'm bringing it up again through the series, you thought, I'll give it one more try, but I've tried that, George. It didn't work. Frustration. Third aspect is realization. 
Now, not everybody gets here. But some of you will get to the place, out of the frustration, you begin to realize that you have only one hope. Remember, Paul expressed the frustration in Romans chapter 7, verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of sin? You know, the good that I want to do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, I do, he was saying in Romans chapter 7. I don't want to be doing this stuff anymore. I want to be living for you, God. I want to experience you in my life. And there's that frustration. Who can deliver me? He goes on and says in verse 25, but thanks be to Christ Jesus. To God and Christ Jesus. There's a realization that all of us have to come to, and that is where we realize that the only hope that we have for our lives is who? Jesus. Really, that's it. We say, I've already come to that conclusion, I'm saved. No, 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 do you understand? The just shall live by faith. That's not just talking about initially living by faith. That's talking about continuing to live by faith. Did you realize I can't live this life? He has to live it through me. That's called realization. Now, the fourth one is what we've been really focusing on the last couple of weeks, and now we're going to get a little bit deeper about it. We're going to start getting deeper over the next few weeks, and that's surrender. Because even though you may come to the realization that you need Jesus and you can't do it without Jesus, you got to get to the place where you let go. Do you understand what I'm saying? you got to get to the place where you say, here I am. I can't do it. You have to do it through me, Jesus. Do you understand? There's a lot of people who walk around with the realization that they can't live the Christian life without Christ, but they're still doing their thing. They're still, they've just learned to adjust to the life of frustration. They've just learned to, to be a superficial Christian. But realization needs to spur you to surrender. So that's what we're talking about now, is surrender. So remember, last week I kind of shared with you a passage. In fact, it's last week's week's message from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 12 through 15. Now let me read those verses to you. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, and command the locusts to devour the land and send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. Now, I want to remind you, because this this section of verses is, is, is often presented in our Christian world, on the Christian radio, as the verses for America. Bring revival back to America. That is a partial truth. But it's also a deception. What are you talking about, George? First of all, these verses have nothing to do with America. 
These verses have nothing to do with revival coming to America. So let me explain it to you. The Bible does not talk about revival coming to America. The Bible never talks about revival coming to any Gentile nation. Because Gentile nations are destined for punishment. That includes America. What these verses are talking about is God's people returning to him. God's people being revived. And that is, folks, people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So let me just go ahead and explain to you, folks. Most of America aren't Christians. The statistics keep bearing that out. They're not believers. They're not seeking after God. In fact, that 18 to 30-year-old crowd keeps getting bigger of people who identify themselves as nothing. They don't have any belief system. So these verses have nothing to do with America. But these verses do have something to do with you and I. That's what this is about. And so we looked at that. We looked at the scripture last week. So what we're going to do is we're going to take each part of what God says to Solomon here over the next several weeks, and we're going to examine specifically what he's saying. And what we're going to start with is, when you read verse 13, he says to Solomon in verse 12, I have heard your place and heard your prayer, and I've chosen this place for my presence then all of a sudden it seems like, whoa, wait a minute, God, what are you talking about now? Look at verse 13. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, and I command the locusts to devour the land and send pestilence among my people. Hold on a second, God, where are you going with that? You just said you chose this place, the temple, for your presence so I can be among my people. The next thing you're talking about is you're going to send us a bad time? You're going to send us problems? Whoa, what's going on here? That's what we're going to talk about today. Because I'll be honest with you, it's the first step in surrendering. First step in surrendering. What do you mean? What God is saying to Solomon is, is that I know the hearts of my people. And they're not always going to stay true to me. And so I need to get their attention. And so what I do to get their attention is, is I don't send rain. I send locusts to devour the crops that they have. I send problems, sickness and disease to get their attention. In fact, so that's what we're going to talk about today, folks. Our message today is, is are you listening? Are you listening? Because I'm going to submit to you today that yes, we live in a world that's hard. Yes, we live in a world, because I preach this all the time, where the life is going to throw the kitchen sink at you, And that's just the nature of life. But I'm going to submit to you today that for some of us, the things are happening in our lives, not just because we live in this world. It's because God's trying to get our attention. And we're not listening. So 
But so here's the difficulty. The reason why we're not listening is because he's wanting us to get to a place of surrender. So here now is the next point. We ignore the concept of surrender because it seems unnatural. We ignore the concept of coming to God and saying, God, I realize I can't do this. I need you to do it. So here I am. I'm giving you my all. I surrender. That's just unnatural for us, and especially if you live in America. Because if you live in America, nobody surrenders, right? Nobody gives in. Even if you're losing the ball game, you give it your all till the end. That's unnatural. To let go and let go, let somebody else do it. In fact, have you ever noticed, here's the reality. Have you ever noticed that you're a control freak? You are. Every single one of you are. My wife says to me, I'm a control freak. In fact, this is a saying in the George Cannon household. It's all about you, George. We're talking about a birthday celebration. Well, I think we should do this. It's all about you, Dad. It's Mom's birthday today, not you. It's all about you. We're control freaks, right? We're all control freaks, are we not? Some of you don't believe that. So here's what I want you to do. Look at your neighbor right now and tell them, you're a control freak. Now, don't hit them. And if... if in fact, if you tell them, don't say them, I've told you before. He's just confirming it. <clears throat> You're a control freak. I'm a control freak. We like to be in control. We like to have our life in control. We don't like problems, right? Do you like problems? No. So because we are control freaks, the whole concept of letting go and letting somebody else is so unnatural. But that's what God calls us to. In fact, he's trying to get our attention. In fact, that's what we're going to look at here. We're going to look at Amos chapter 4. So if you're in the book of Amos, if you're using a pew Bible... That's page 483. We're looking at an Old Testament prophet. Some of you probably ever never looked at the book of Amos before, but the book of Amos, chapter 4, we're going to look at a very interesting portion of Scripture. We're going to look at verses 1 to 11, where God says the same things five times. Same phrase five times. Now, stop for a moment. If you're told the same thing five times, what does that usually mean? You need to pay attention, right? If, if I tell my kids I want you to do something, and if I continually tell them, even to their point of aggravation, it's because I want them to be aware of what I'm asking them to do, right? So God is making a point here five times in this passage. So let's look at this passage together. I'll explain it to you. It kind of starts out a little unusual. It is a prophet speaking here. But look with me at verse 1. He almost sounds harsh. Listen to what he says. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, 
who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring wine, let us drink. The Lord has sworn by his holiness, behold, the days shall come upon you when he will take you away with fish hooks and your prosperity with fish hooks. And you will go through broken walls and each one straight ahead of her. And he will cast, and he, you will be cast into Harmon, says the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. Proclaim and announce a free will offerings. For this you love, you children of Israel, says the Lord God. Now pay attention to what he says here. Also, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and the lack of bread in all your places. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I also withdrew rain from you when there were still three months to the harvest. I made it rain on one city. I withheld rain from another city. One part was rained upon And where it did not rain, the part withered. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink drink, but they were not satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I blasted you with blight and mildew when your gardens increased. Your vineyards, your fig trees, your olive trees, the locusts devoured them. Yet you have not returned to me says the Lord. I sent among you a plague, and and after the manner of Egypt, your young men I killed with the sword. Among, Along with your captive horses, I made the stench of your camps come upon, come up to your nostrils. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Folks, what we're seeing here is God talking to a people trying to get their attention. He's trying to get their attention. So let's go through this passage. We're going to talk about them and try to apply it to our lives and see if God's trying to get your attention, my attention. Okay? First of all, verses 1 to 5 are describing the people of God. What do you mean? Well, he's saying to them, Oh, you cows of Bashan. Now, some of you are like, Whoa, that's, that's pretty, that's a, is that an insult? He's calling them cows. What he's actually referring to is the two golden cows that they had erected and said were God. It was their idols. And what he's talking about is a people who who are arrogant, who are not worshiping God, and God says to them, I'm going to bring problems and you're going to be taken away by fish hooks. What does that mean? Well, we know from history that the northern kingdom of Israel, when the Assyrians came in and defeated them, what was left, the Assyrians took with them captive. And what we know from history is, is this is how they did it. They put a hook in their mouth and attached a rope and drug them away. They were barbaric. 
That's what he's referring to here. So here's the point I want you to see. God's people do not take their sin seriously. Whoa, that's where we're at. Listen, I can almost guarantee you if you're here, you have something that you struggle with. You have some sin issue. Now, it's going to be different for every single person here, and I don't care how perfect you think you are before Jesus, you're not. I'm not. Nobody is. And every single one of us has some kind of thing that we keep falling back into. Every one of us. Now, the reason why we keep falling back into it and the reason why we've learned to adjust to it is because we don't take it seriously. We don't really grasp that that thing that we keep giving into is destroying our lives, it's destroying our families, it's destroying us. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? In fact, we kind of make excuses for it because we don't take it serious. That's what these folks were doing. They didn't take seriously their their idol worship, worshiping other things. They didn't take serious that they didn't need God and that they needed God in their life. They they decided they could do without him. Isn't that how we live our lives? Yeah, we come to church on Sunday, but we kind of live our lives every day like we don't need him. That's sin. He's saying to them, listen, pay attention to me. You're not taking your sin serious enough. Here's the second thing. Look at verse 6. I'm going to go through each one of these statements. By the way, if you haven't realized when I read the passage, the statement that he keeps saying over and over again is that, yet you have not returned to me. What's he talking about here? So I'm going to go through six things about how he was trying to get their attention, and then you have to ask yourself, is God trying to get your attention? Look at verse 6. I also gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and a lack of bread in all your places, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. You say, wait a minute, George. What's so bad about that? We all want clean teeth. That's not what he's talking about here, folks. He's talking about they're going hungry because they're not eating. The reason why you wouldn't have clean teeth is, be, is because you've been eating something and maybe you got a poppy seed stuck in there. The fact is, is that they're experiencing a hardship. Here's the point. Because of their sin, God allows their prosperity to suffer. They're struggling. They're trying to make ends meet, and it doesn't happen. They're trying to put food on the table, and it's not happening. Even when they get a raise, it's not happening. God's trying to get their attention, and he says to them, listen, this is happening because you're not returning to me. I'm allowing this to take place in your life. But even though this is happening and you're going hungry, you won't turn back to me. You won't return to me. Let's look at the next one. It's found in verse 7 and 8. 
I also withheld the rain from you. And there was, and when there was still three months left to the harvest, I made it rain in one city and I withheld rain from another city. One part was rained upon and where it did not rain, that part withered. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Here's the next thing I want you to see. Because of their sin, there was uncertainty in their lives. Uncertainty. Listen, notice when he says, three months to the harvest... When it's three months before the harvest there in the Middle East, they're expecting rain. Why? To nourish the crops so that when the harvest comes, they'll be ready to harvest. But God says, I withheld rain from one field. The next field got rain, but your field didn't get rained. I let it rain on one city, but I didn't let it rain on your city. In fact, you had to go, if you were in one city that didn't get rain, you went to the one city that got rain to get water, but it wasn't satisfying to you. Nothing was working out. There's no certainty to life. But notice what he says. Even in spite of that, I took away your certainty of the way things should be, and you refused to what? Return to me. You refused to look to me. And isn't that true? Isn't that what happens? Listen, I mean, I think about it for a moment. Think about how we operate today. If it doesn't go the way we want it to go, if we got uncertainty in our times, guess who we look to to help us out? Everybody else but God. We call our senator. All he can help you with is the license tag. We call, call our house a representative guy. We complain about this one and that one, and we want the next election to help us, and maybe that will help us out, but you know what? I'm going to tell you right now, none of that's going to... Have you noticed nothing has changed? I've been alive now 52 years. The complaints haven't changed. And it doesn't matter who's in office. I keep still hearing the same complaints. Is God trying to get our attention? We've got all this uncertainty. Because of their sin, there was uncertainty in their lives, and they're trying to do something about it. Listen, let's go on here. We're talking about God's people here now. We're not talking about the nation. We're talking about God's people. Look at me. Verse 9. I blasted you with blight. Whoa! God is saying, I gave your garden blight. Now, I live with a gardener. I know how she hates that. Do you know what I'm saying? I know, I can almost guarantee we have tomato plants. She's going to come in at some point. They got it again. And you want to blame some, well, here's what God says. I blighted you with blight and mildew. When your gardens increased, your vineyards, your fig trees, your olive trees, the locusts devoured them. Yet, you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Here's the point. Because of their sin, their efforts and labors were meaningless. That no matter what they tried to do, it was meaningless. God didn't bring prosperity. God didn't bless the fruit of their labor. 
Why? Because he was trying to get their attention. And they kept refusing. In fact, here's what Israel did. They kept going up to the two golden cows and making more sacrifices there. They used to do stuff, even crazy stuff, like take their firstborn children and offer it to Moloch, some Ammonite god, Moabite god, in hopes that that would change things. When God is saying, I'm right here, will you not turn to me? Here's the next point. Look with me at verse 10 through 11. I sent among you a plague after the manner of Egypt. Your young men I killed with a sword. Along with your captive horses, I made a stench of your camp come up into your nostrils. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, but you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Here's the next thing. Because of their sin, calamity became normal. Because of their sin, calamity became normal. That's scary. That all this stuff is happening and God's trying to get their attention and they refuse. They refuse. Which brings me to the overall point of this passage. In spite of all this, God's people refused to turn back to him. In spite of all of this, God's people refused to turn back to him. Now you're you're probably sitting there saying, "Whoa, hold on, George! You know, I've, you had me. I, I'm I was coming, and I was really interested. I mean, five weeks into this, you know, yes, the desire, yes, the frustration, yes, the realization, yes, the surrender, and I want Jesus in my life. And now you come today, and you're like, whoa." What does this have to do with anything? Telling us about Israel. What does this got to do with me? It's got everything to do with you. It's got everything to do with you, and it's got everything to do with me. Because, I'm going to tell you right now, some of you are going through something. Or some things. And it's been relentless. It just seems like you get out of one difficulty, then something else happens. You say, what does that have to do? Lord George, you've already told us. I've I've been here several long time now. You've already told us that's life. We just need to to adjust to it. Yes, that's true. But here's what I want to say to you. Some of you know that as these things are happening and as you are contemplating them, as you are thinking about them, in your heart of hearts, something is tweaking you. Something is prodding you. And you know why it's happening. Yeah, it seems 
obscure engine blows up. What has that got to do with anything? But yeah, you know in your in your heart that somebody's trying to get your attention. Yeah, I mean, bad stuff happens. Do you understand what I'm saying? Bad stuff happens that we don't ask for. That's just part of life. But sometimes there are things that are happening in our lives and, and God is saying to you, do you hear me? I'm calling to you. You can't do this on your own. Come to me, surrender. Come to me, surrender. I'm trying to get your attention. Quit, quit being so thick-headed. Look, notice now, he had to tell them five different times, you haven't returned to me. Five times, you think God's trying to get their attention? I was, I was sitting, I mean, this is even real for me. I was sitting last night with a family, and, and I'm sitting in my chair that I always sit in. That's my chair. Folks, it's my chair. Family, it's my chair, okay? I was told that's my chair, okay? That's the big joke in our house right now. Dad's coming down, get out of his chair, okay? Um, so I'm sitting in my chair, and I'm sitting about some things that are going on, some things that we're struggling with, and my mind opened up. And I said, I hear you, Lord. You're talking to me through this situation. You're talking to me. See, some of you, if you would stop for a moment and contemplate and look at what's going on, maybe God's trying to talk to you too. Maybe he's trying to get your attention. Because up until this point, you've been like the folks we were just reading about. We've refused to turn back to him. Dude, do you understand what I'm saying? We've ignored him. See, this is, this is the first step. The first step is coming to the place of saying to him, okay, God, things aren't right. You are trying to get my attention. I'm listening. Some of you have to get, I have to get to the place where we say, okay, Lord, I'm listening. That's the first step to surrender, is recognizing you're not where you should be, and you need to listen. Do you understand? That's the first step. So let me ask you. We've got this desire. We want him, right? We want God working in our life. We want more going on than just attending a church. We want to experience Jesus every day. Yes? Okay. We're frustrated. Like, how do we get there? I've got this, I got these issues. I got this sin struggle. How do we get there? And then you realize, oh, I can't do it. It's you, Jesus. I can't do it. It's you, Jesus. But we got to come to a place of surrender. But I'll be honest with you, the problem is, can I tell you what the problem is? It's one word, pride. We're too proud to come to him and say to him, here I am. 
And so what he's doing is, is he's trying, he's allowing whatever's happening in your life to try to get your attention. And listen, I'm not saying some of you are going through some things right now. This has nothing to do with it. But for some of you here, you know it is. Because in your heart of hearts, the Spirit of God is speaking to you and saying to you, are you listening? Are you listening? So my prayer is this. That I and you would begin to listen. And we would begin that process of going to him and surrendering. Let me pray for you.